When it comes to weight management, we tend to focus on what we eat, but Noom's approach puts the focus on why we eat. That's a game changer. Noom uses science and personalization to help you manage your weight for the long term. Their psychology-based approach helps build better habits and behaviors that are easier to maintain. The best part? You decide how Noom fits into your life, not the other way around. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M.com to sign up today. back everybody this is not wins above fantasy this is on the corner podcast i am van burnett not nick pollock but what is happening we are talking about the pitcher list maybe too early mock draft and my picks uh nick the seat is already hot over here i've been uh, rethinking our conversation a calendar year ago and really measuring every player against this very podcast. So I'm excited to lay the foundation this year and get into some some names with you. How's it going, Nick? What is happening? Look, this is how you know that Van is a professional host. He couldn't he wasn't awkward when I said you're gonna host this show. You're gonna open it up. He's like, oh okay, cool. I'll just handle all of it. <laughs> uh this is great. Yeah, we're continuing our mock draft series. We have Van Burnett's uh, draft that we're going to talk about today. If you want more information on that, we actually posted an article on the site that outlines all of the draft board, all the picks, all the rounds. Dave Swan put that out. Uh, he did a great job with it. And you can also follow along the draft board as we discuss Van's picks. And Van picked in the uh, the 10th spot, so enjoy that. We have some spicy ones today uh, that I am very excited. Actually, I'm sorry, the 11th spot. I saw I saw your face changing. You're like, what are you, what are you saying, Nick? Not the 10th it's spot. Like, is that me? The 11th that, spot. Did I forget? No. <laughs> but I uh, no, it's uh, I'm excited to talk about all these picks. Um, you guys know that I'm going to react some way if you just look at the draft board right now. But before we get to that, Van, tell everybody what you do and where they can find you. Yes. So my primary role with Pitcher List is co-host of the Wins Above Fantasy podcast. You guys can find us on Twitter at Wins Above Pod. Uh, my co-host is Steve Giswelli. We've done it two full seasons now. Even though Steve and I met through the podcast as kind of a pen pal system, it feels like we're old pals. He flew me yeah. out there for his wedding. It was hilarious. Wonderful. His, his, his bride gave a shout out to our show and to me and my wife looked at me like, what the heck is going on? We're at this Jersey <laughs> wedding. We don't know anyone. But it, yeah, we have a great rapport and we talk all purpose fantasy baseball, uh, mainly get into kind of stat cast, weekly ads, a lot of draft coverage. Um, but we have an absolute blast and a lot of great guests that come on. But it has been a privilege, Nick. And we were just talking before we started, but it feels great to be in a rhythm and be a part of the the pitcherless movement and watch everything grow every year. We're super pumped. Well, we're super pumped to have you here. And uh, I want to remind everybody, you should be listening to Wins Above Fantasy. If you're not, what are you doing? You should be doing that. Um, but this is the Mock Draft Podcast. This is when I I learn about hitting through this pod. And okay, we have the 11th pick. Did you, first of all, did you put yourself 11th so that you could snipe Steve, who was in the 10th spot constantly? This is the second year in a row that Steve and I have been one pick away. Oh, uh, that's so good. Part of it was content. Part of it was I wanted to be 
near a swing pick um, just for convenience and, uh, you know, anxiety reduction, if you want to say that. But I did, I I have not looked at the draft board prior to this and really mapped out what was the perfect spot to be in. I do have opinions now, but it, it just was a mixture of content and a swing pick. Well, we want to hear all of those opinions. And to remind everybody, it's a 23-round draft. It's your most standard 5 by 5 Yahoo League that is head-to-head categories. Otani is two different players. You have three outfielders, no middle infield, no corner infield, two utilities, nine pitchers. It's a daily league as well. I think I got all of the things in there. So let's talk about 11th pick overall. Jose Ramirez, Ronald Acuna, Trey Turner, Aaron Judge, Julio Rodriguez, Kyle Tucker, Mookie Betts, Jordan Alvarez, Mike Trout, Juan Soto all went before your pick at Bo Bichette. Were you hoping that someone else fell to this pick or were you targeting Bo Bichette? I was hoping any of the names before fell, to be honest, Nick. And this is the earliest moment where I said to myself, maybe I don't want to be at the very end of the first round. And we can get into the theory. But ultimately, when I went with Bichette, there was a lot of rationale going into it. And I think, which can be challenged, that I still want some speed early on without giving up a ton in other categories. And Bichette kind of felt like the right pick. I mean, I I knew Bobby Witt was a riser this year, but I think with Bichette, you're getting another 30 points of batting average. And I think the season we just saw from Bichette, where he ended up 290, 24 homers, 13 steals, the, the counting stats are always great, of course, with the Blue Jays. To me, that almost feels like the down year for Bo Bichette. And I know he got hot at the very end, but coming off of you know 2021, where he, he was basically a, a top six pick in most drafts, I feel like this is kind of a floor where you know the average 285 all the way up to 300. But I think this is a 25-25 type of guy. Uh, the steals were down a little bit. But he actually got caught stealing eight times. So I like that the intention is there with 21 attempts. And with the bigger bases, I think this is going to be a pick that won't shoot you in the foot. You address an infield position, which I think is really important this year. And yeah, the second half of this season, he reminded us what he can be when he batted 337 with a 921 OPS. So I don't hate it, but it's not certainly not like the spot that I want to be in and I'm not circling Bichette is a name that I have to have, but I I felt okay about kind of checking the box for a positional player infield and also a guy who's going to get me speed. And I think a pretty high floor and a pretty high ceiling. Yeah. That second half really saved Bo Bichette this year. And a really good point you made about the intent to steal that could be improved next year with just 13 stolen bases for Bo Bichette. This past year could jump up to 20 you could say, if not even higher, as he did steal 25 in 2021, it should be easier for Bichette to steal again in 2023. That's going to be a great offense. You're going to get close to those 91 runs again, 93 RBI, 24 home runs, 290 average. The biggest question I think about getting Bichette at this point is, do you need to jump so high for, for Bichette when you have Bobby Witt, you have Francisco Lindor, Corey Seager, Willie Adamas? Uh, Dansby Swanson, O'Neill Cruz, Wander Franco, Tim Anderson, Xander Bogarts, even Fernando Tatis in the mix there. Is it possible that you might want to favor something else? Or in retrospect, did you feel really good about this pick for Bichette? I'm actually warming up to it a little bit just because 
across those names. I think you can make the argument for what Bichette brings at shortstop that the other ones don't. Like even a guy like Tatis who has the tools, I think there's a lot more volatility and risk and the wild card factor with Tatis Jr. And then most of the other guys don't have the speed with the exception of like a Lindor or Tim Anderson. But I think, you know, Anderson doesn't have the pop. Lindor doesn't have the batting average. So I think there's a, a give and take, but to the, your broader question, yes, I was regretting. And I think I put in the chat, Nick, you're going to pepper me on the podcast about not going Manny Machado here <laughs> because I, I third mean, base, I, I think is, is, I think third base is kind of shallow. And I think yeah. Manny could go from like a 10 steel guy to a 15 steel guy. And the rest of it is back of the baseball card of, you know, 330, sure. 100, 100, and maybe 15 steals, which I think it's a shallower position. So that might be my regret. Um, I won't speak about the second round pick yet, but I could see swapping Bichette and Machado and, and feeling pretty good about that. Yeah, for me personally right now in a Yahoo League, I actually think I have, say, Mookie Betts as my third or inside my top three picks just because wow. he has second base eligibility. And to talk about depth of position, and it's just, to me, such a high step forward when you do have some questions about judge and Acuna and Julio Rodriguez. And that's where I stand on it. So when it comes to shortstop, it's not the premier one. Mm-hmm. I think I would rather have Machado and a first baseman. And, but that's, it's okay. You got Boba Shett and you're still happy with that. There are definitely other third basemen to try and go for or a first baseman later, but you did pair it with the first baseman as it went with junior and Alonso around the turn. Did you, make a sound did you yell when you saw either the really essentially pete alonso go at the turn not necessarily because i feel like this second round is definitely the honeypot for first baseman with alonso vlad freddie and goldschmidt i've rostered all those guys in the past two season and in in some big leagues and i think that they all come with different strengths and weaknesses so i mean i was a little surprised when wit went off the board, although I know he's kind of been pushed up. But once Alonzo went, it kind of just reassured my my stance that I want to get not only a first baseman here to keep working on the infield, but I also wanted to get some some pop to pair with Bo Bichette. So uh, it was Vlad, and I'm quite happy with that. I mean, it's it's crazy. Last year in this exact mock draft, Nick, I, I took Vlad at one one. That's right. Overall. I remember that. Yeah. And that was kind of a bold call, but I liked I liked some of the stability and the average came way down to but it's still two seventy-four. So I think that's what Vlad offers with the floor. Uh thirty-two homers, eight steals is at a point where we have to start to take notice. Yeah, and he that's, actually that's pretty amazing. Eight and eighth he, in the majors. And he ran eleven times too. So th- that's interesting. The counting stats again are gonna be great. And it's easy to forget in in 21, it was 48 homers with four steals, hit 311. So I still think this is a guy who could eclipse the top five overall players. But I think what, you know, across the range of outcomes we're hoping for is 285, 35 homers, call it six steals, 190 runs in RBI. Um, I love the plate discipline at just a 16% strikeout rate. He can take a walk. And he's still just 24 years old. So I, I, I love this pick. I don't know how much we can like scrutinize picking Vlad at 14 overall, but I felt really good about this kind of combo with Bichette and Vlad. I, I'm a little annoyed that uh, he had a 58% ground ball rate after 
being mm-hmm. just underneath 50% in 2021. But I do need to ask, I mean, you went Bichette and Vlad, do you live in Toronto by any chance? Yeah, this is uh, podcasting from Peoria, Illinois, more of a Cardinals, <laughs> Cardinals homer, but I know well, this I would know. be... Yeah. Yeah, you know, early games for the for the entertainment value watching the East Coast, I guess. <laughs> right, there you go. Um, Vlad is a very safe pick. I'm personally going to be taking Freeman above Vlad, I think, uh, just because it's the most ideal situation and the hardest thing to find later on in your draft is average that matters. I'm mm-hmm. typically someone that if I if I'm able to get elite average guys that target 300 and above, essentially. I uh, then I will go after them in the first couple of rounds as long as I'm not sacrificing major, you know, uh, other three to four category production. And if I don't, then I don't really care in a head to head. It's interesting. I've been thinking about batting average like it's 25 percent is a 250 average and 27 percent is a 270. Um, and when you think about that for a full week, uh, if let's say you have 100 plate appearances for the full week or 100, then it's literally two hits separate it, right? And it's, it's I mean, that's okay. I'm, I don't know if I sh- how much I should be favoring a 250 guy for the 270 or so, but getting Freeman 300 plus, I think that's then tipping the you know scales a little bit more in the favor that I'm willing to do it. So 274, not necessarily the death sentence for Vlad. I will say seeing the 311 last year with a lower ground ball rate and then going up, uh, 10 points in ground ball rate and falling about 40 uh, points in average is shocking to me. Uh, I don't know exactly why. Uh, it's strange. Here's the world of baseball. But I, uh, that's a, uh, yeah, that that was the, the world of Vlad. I mean, it was fewer line drives, more ground balls, I guess, because of mm-hmm. the, the fly ball rate only dropped five points. It was a little so, bit of BABIP with the 21 was a 313 BABIP and then last year was a 289. So, so you know, you can split between. it. Yeah. yeah, you can say he's a 285 guy. Fine. Um, but yeah, I mean, you're not going to go wrong with Vlad. Like you're going to be happy with this. So I, I'm totally fine with it. I side more on Freeman, but it's awfully, awfully close. Yeah. Freeman was my home league pick this year. First round pick and... The, the lack of power is, is kind of staying with me. I know that you can kind of bank on him in every other category and you'd imagine the power is going to come up too. But yeah, for me, those guys are tomato, tomato. I, I would, I mean, would you say Vlad has a higher ceiling though? Like uh, if, which of the two could finish top right. four? You're right. Vlad can, and maybe I am being too harsh about the home run difference between the two of them. Uh, I think I'm more optimistic about Freeman hitting 30 home runs again. Yeah. But Vlad 32, I see that and go, oh, that's it. <laughs> yeah. So sure. I so yeah, you're absolutely right. Higher ceiling with Vlad, definitely. Um, I'm gonna stop stalling because <laughs> the third round has arrived. Oh boy. And that player is Dylan Cease. And I know I'm gonna say lots of things about Dylan Cease, but before I do, we're gonna take a quick break. Fads come and go and nowhere more than in the world of weight loss. That's why Noom has created weight management programs that are made to last. Noom uses science and personalization so you can manage your weight for the long term. Their psychology-based approach helps you build better habits and behaviors that are easier to maintain. And they help you understand the science behind your eating choices and why you have those cravings. Noom's personalized courses are easy to follow, and will help grow your confidence with tools you can put into practice on day one. 
The best part? You decide how Noom fits into your life, not the other way around. And based on a sample of 4,272 Noomers, 98% say Noom helps change their habits and behaviors for good. So stop chasing health trends and join the millions who have lost weight with Noom. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M.com to sign up for your trial today. Dylan Cease, third round pick, and he went off the board one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, tenth. Which honestly, from what I understand in the uh in the I don't know, the spectrum of fantasy drafts thus far, it has been more draft and hold, draft champion stuff for NFBC ADP, just in case you're looking at that. Not really indicative of what we're doing now, a little different in certain strategies. That does kind of fall in line. I've said a lot about Dylan Cease over my day, but first, I want you to tell us why you say, no, Nick, Dylan Cease should have been the 10th starting pitcher off the board, and I made the right pick. So I have a little bit of a philosophy here that okay. will apply to, to more picks for my staff that seems to be uh, highly volatile. But I think this year I am flagging the ground on trying to catch pitchers on the ascent and pitchers mm. who I feel we have yet to see their ceiling. And I think that's where I'm at with Cease. I mean, no one can argue, and I know you're kind of the detractor of the industry, but nobody can argue the fact that he's nasty. The, the past, when you look at this season and last, over 350 innings with a 30% K rate. The slider, I love that he ramped the usage of it. And it's got a 43% whiff rate and strangely enough, a 43% use rate. So that is elite. I mean, absolute. You have to double take when you see a minus 36 run value on Dylan Cease's slider. However, sure. it's it's documented. I know that part of your stance is that we knew the slider was good. We don't we didn't need that. We needed him to develop some of his other pitches. And I think that's a really good point, but I do think that's where for me, there's a little bit of untapped potential here with Cease, despite how good he's been. If the fastball or the curve take a step forward, is he now striking out 250, 260 guys instead of the 225? And then the walk rate, which has been hovering around you know 10%, I still think this could be you know, I think you had mentioned, Nick, in your uh, SP ranks, who is the last p- pitcher who flirted with a two ERA with a 10% walk rate? And I haven't vetted all the options, but one of them was Corbin Burns, who had a 10% walk rate and he was at like a 229 ERA, 219, something like that. And that to me feels like the step that Cease could take. If he could go the way of Robbie Ray or Corbin Burns and really dial in the control, which I know is easier said than done. I think at worst, yes, the ERA climbs and he's mid to high threes, but I still think that with the volume he's now established, he's like a 230K guy, just 26 years old, had TJ, but this is one that I wouldn't be shocked if he ended up like a top four SP overall. He just has to right a few of these wrongs, but he's a young pitcher. I think he could. it could happen. I think the wins are a room for growth as well with the fact that the White Sox were an absolute dumpster fire. So I just think you put it all together. It's an upside play for sure. 
but one that I think the best is yet to come, whether that's this year or two years. And yeah, there's a little bit of what could happen the other direction, but this was kind of my philosophy of if you're not first, you're last, let's dance with some guys who could really pop. And and Dylan Cease is that SP1 for me. There you go. Uh, I that, That's a very good argument. Um, and you could very well be right. I like what you're saying. Like, I want guys on the ascent. I love that. Uh, I find myself not doing that enough at times, being more conservative. And even though I speak all this excitement of players, I still need to be like, no, I need to make sure that I don't just lose the draft or something. Um, the point about Corbin Burns is interesting. You're talking about 2020 and this 59 innings, uh, or really 60 innings, smaller sample, different mm-hmm. story as well. Um, that was a shocking one for us. He kind of came out of nowhere. He only had nine starts in that one, by the way, too. Um, and the real major thing is that he was throwing 32% cutters in 2020, and then 2021 was 52%. And how he did it, he threw threw the pitch in the zone 48% before in 2020, then he jumped up to 52. Not what Dylan Cease does. That cutter was so dependable um, as I'm getting a strike. 72% strike rate is what he needed in 2021 to move that 10% walk rate down to 5%, right? And I I don't think that's going to happen for Dylan Cease's slider. It's actually pretty funny. The the gift that we have on Dylan Cease's profile page, like if you guys don't know our profile pages, seriously, they're the best out there. They have StatCast data. The, the repertoire section is the best player research you can do. If you're wondering how I know all these numbers, it's just staring right at me. We have a gift of every pitch and Dylan Cease's slider is missing its spot. <laughs> <laughs> You know, it's taking for a strike. He's trying to get it down and in, and it just misses out. It kind of hangs over the plate as Polanco turns around and goes, oh, I should have hit that. Um, And to me, I gave him the full year to say, you know what? Fix your four-seamer in your curveball. And you didn't, really. I also noticed that in the second half, he actually had, um, from August 16th to the end of the year, so that's his final nine starts of the year, Dylan Cease had less than a K per inning, if you can believe that. Uh, 24% K rate in that time. And I think anyone that rostered him knew that it was a little weirder. Now, ratios were good. 2.17 ERA, uh, 103 whip in that time, still had a 10% walk rate. Uh, but only a 12% swing strike rate, and things were odd. You know, 206 BABIP, 9% home run five ball rate, 83% left on base rate. I think the, the impression we have of Cease, I'm not saying that if you get that all year, that's fantastic. It feels very fragile. And mm-hmm. the first half was so good um, that I think it's masking a little bit of this slowdown that he had. And it still isn't quite fixed. And I'm not saying that Dylan Cease is going to be bad. Look, he has had 200 strikeouts in each of the last two years, 226 and 21, 227 in 2022. That There's a ton of value inherently in that, even if the whip goes up to like 120 and the ERA goes to 3.7 or something. That's still incredibly valuable. My biggest thing is, all right, you can get Cease, but you have so many safer options. Mm-hmm. You have Brandon Woodruff, Max Fried, Alec Manoa, Carlos Rodon. These guys are stalwarts, if you ask me, of, yeah, I know that I'm going to get those ratios that I want, and all of them can have 200 Ks. I know Max Fried's at 170. Maybe it's closer to 190. I think there is more to grow there. Um, Alec Manoa as well. But, I mean, Strider even. 
I, I have Strider above Cease, if you can believe it, because he has two pitches that get strike rates, and we'll talk about him shortly. But that's me with Cease. I, I hope I'm wrong. I hope that 10% walk rate goes away. But even in this growth period that he had with increasing his sliding uh, usage, he still walks a ton. Mm-hmm. And that's going to bite him. And we normally don't see this kind of thing sticking. For Corbin Burns to excel, he had to fix it. You know, it was a nice little stretch. I'm sure I'm happy he got away with it for those 60 innings, but it didn't stick around. And now he's the Corbin Burns that we love, right? I think part of the investment here, certainly above names like Freed and Manoa, Woodruff I'd be curious on, but it's the big if on if he brings the fastball or curveball along or if he, he cuts down on the walks. I think it's just an easier thing to visualize him being a top five starting pitcher compared to like a Manoa or Freed for mm. me. So it's it's just that ceiling. Yeah. Um, but Woodruff is a really interesting one to to have that discussion on. Like, do you think Woodruff's ceiling is higher than Cease's, even if you throw possible range of outcome? You know what I mean? Like the likelihood I, out yeah, of it. I I very much favor When it comes to starting pitching, I mean, look at your draft and say, where am I going to find my value? Where am I going to find the the excess value in my favor so that I can win my league? Right. Mm -hmm. And I don't try to do that in the first four rounds, five rounds. I try and do that six through 15. I mean, hopefully if I'm later on, but really, I think six through 10 is where you can you can jump the highest. I, I am trying to personally nail down good i have foundations that i know i'm going to what i'm going to get this is going to be productive and then rely on my skill later on to get it i i see this more as a boom and or bust than i would have wanted to where if i'm then you know cease could not come through and then oh, you could have had all this this value that's just there for you to take if you feel strongly about it like no this is a, a gap in it and i'm going to take it then okay go for it um, I, I totally understand that, but that's where my thinking is at this point in the draft. For sure. Which might be a good segue, Nick, because it's a similar discussion. I love Spencer Strider though. I, I am so, I, I believe more in Strider than I do Cease. So if you, even if you flip these, you're like, oh, I couldn't get Woodruff, you know, like all to get, C- I'm like, I'd, I'd feel better about it. I, I think, I mean, Strider has a top five pitch in baseball, I think in his four seamer. Mm-hmm. A near 70% strike rate on it, which stri- uh, Cease doesn't have. His his highest is a slider at 65%, his fastball is at 61% strike rates. And that's why Strider was able to be under 10% walk rate, right? Uh, yeah. Slider is also really good. I can actually see him doing better with that pitch in 2023. Um, but yeah, you went for Strider here. I mean, is this just kind of more of the same? Are you just chasing ceiling? It's more of the same. And I think you're trading off a little bit of volume compared to Cease uh, with what's probably volume and sample size, right? Like I, I don't think Strider's as likely to go 180 as Cease. Um, and obviously we have seen less of it from Strider, but the fact that he's the fastest pitcher to ever reach 200 Ks, just 130 innings is wild to see those two numbers next to each other. Uh, the fastball is a huge reason. I know you and and Eno and, and the best pitcher breakdowns in the industry talk about how the fastball is where you want to start if you want to be an ace and for him to be basically sitting at 98 
is incredible. And then you pair that with a DeGromian slider with a, a 52% whiff rate, which that league average is 25%. And it's like, well, yeah. across all pitches. So him and Cease, when I kind of paired these together, yes, it was more of the same. And it's kind of doubling down on, okay, now I have twice the chance of, of catching a top five overall pitcher. Okay. And yeah, so it was a little bit of a a hedge bet. And if it doesn't work out exactly like that, I still think I'm looking at 330 innings. If you, if you cut it in half, you know, at like a 160 uh, or 150 and 170 or something. And then the strikeout potential is really 220 for each of them with maybe room to grow uh, it, you know, that's assuming health and everything, but Strider, there's just so much to like. I mean, I'm, I, from the way you talk about him, I'm sure I don't have to convince you, but uh, this is just basically the writings on the wall. And it was kind of a game of chicken on who was going to reach first on Strider. I'm sure. fascinated to see where his ADP ends up because this was 38 overall and SP 12. So Curious on your thoughts, Nick, or if you want to challenge or, or add any thoughts on Strider, yeah. but this is one of the names of the draft, right? On on where is he going to end I up? Mean, everyone kept talking about it at first pitch, too. I mean, I prefer Rodon to Strider, definitively. Okay. Um, but I I can understand arguments uh, ahead of... I mean, I also prefer Nola, who I got. I think he's just safer. Yeah. Um, there's, a, there's a question about how much um, Atlanta uses Strider next year. Um, I mean, 130 innings, is that just going to easily translate to more? It often has. Alec Manoa did kind of look that way for Shane McClanahan as well until he got a little sidetracked. I hope that's fine for Strider. I I will say the hardest thing to predict is innings and injury, essentially playing time in the future. The mm-hmm. best indication of it is previous seasons of doing it. And so I'm talking about risk. You want to limit it by getting Aaron Nola, right? Luis Castillo. Those to me are two safer ones than Strider. All of that said, I mean, yeah, as you mentioned, it's just insane. Uh, 130 innings or so to get 200 strikeouts is unreal. And uh, you mentioned whiff rate. For those that are confused, whiff rate is only when the batter swings. How often does that return to swing the strike? Swing strike rate is just across all pitches thrown. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, still. 24% swing strike rate on Spencer Strider slider. The league average is 15. <laughs> it's really good. Guys yeah. can't hit it. Um, and there's, I think there's more to be had there with a higher zone rate, uh, 35.5%, because guys are going to have to be so aware of the heater all the time. He should be able to sneak uh, more uh, sliders into the zone early in counts. He does throw more sliders early in counts than he does later. Uh, 57% uh, slider percentage was early. And I think you're going to see that go up a little um, as to get ahead of guys more often. Uh, and as long as he can just get that in the zone, then you'll see more strikes from it. And then there you go. 8.5% walk rate could fall down to maybe 7%. And that would be even better. And that would be really cool. With uh, a guy that has two dominant pitches like this, but not really a third pitch. Doesn't Does matter. that raise an alarm for you or no. they're just both so good? It doesn't matter. I think it's over. I think it's uh, overrated. I think third time through the lineup penalty is overrated. Um, I think it's something that pitchers aren't trained to go through ter- third time through the lineup enough mm-hmm. so that they can maintain their ability. Uh, 
Third time through the lineup, people say, oh, they've seen their stuff. I'm like, if when it's really good, it doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. Um, and Zach Allen had a really good quote about it where things like a closer in the first inning, I'll show all my pitches because now they're thinking about all of my pitches later on. Guys know what pitches they have anyway, too. You know, they have the reports. They know what they're going to try and do. Just execute the stuff that you want to do. You'll be fine. Especially when you have a top five fastball in the majors. So I'm not worried about that. It's just more about how much fatigue could affect Strider concerning he just hasn't done this. Yeah. 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 I think, I think again on Rodon and Nola and those are two guys I rostered throughout this year. And, uh, you know, Rodon was one coming in that we were saying, Oh, it'd be great if we can get 140 innings out of them. We saw North of 175. Yeah. And to me, what we just saw for Rodon feels like it's as good as it's going to get. Um, where I oh, think Strider, yeah. if if he goes 160 innings, that might be enough to be. Yeah, a, that's a like good. A, that's a good know. argument. Uh, I think but it's that, a plateau yeah. for Rodon, but I understand uh, not feeling that way. Let's see where he lands. I'm very curious where Rodon will end up. Uh, Tommy Edmond is your first is your fifth round pick. As yep. we've gone through about 30 minutes at four picks, <laughs> we got to speed it up. Those, uh, were, those were the big ones, though. You those know? are the big ones. And all right, cool. We got hitters. I lean back now. Okay. Uh, Tommy Edmond in the fifth. This seems high. Tell, tell me about this. Well, first, I want to just take a trip down memory lane, Nick. Why since not? We're trying to speed this up. Yeah. Let's and go. talk about last year <laughs> when I grabbed Tommy Edmond in the eighth round and you said, this seems early. Yeah. And so wait, is he, he ended up router next year now? Well, we'll see what happens. But he ended up in five by five this past year. He finished 57th overall. So right at this 59 overall pick, pretty much right at that value. But a lot of this honestly was a positional pick for second base. And of course, I'm a Cardinals, a little bit of Homer in there. But I do like Edmund to provide speed that this year batted 265, 13 homers. So that came up a little bit, which I thought it would with the weird homer to fly ball rate last year. 32 steals is where the value is coming from with Edmund. And he's actually the number one base runner in the league by fan graphs, scored 95 runs, which is an underrated five by five stat. And I think that's pretty much what he's going to do with the Cardinals um, almost across the board. This is the second year in a row that Edmund has got the 30 steal mark and he attempted 35 in both seasons. So I think we need to stop kind of the, the Cardinals don't run very often. And, you know, can you rely on steals? I'm banking on Edmund being like a floor of 25 steals, which is where a lot of this value is. But more than anything, this to me was the cliff of second base because after this Trevor Story, who I'm personally out on, I don't like the plate discipline. I was fading him last year on a show with Steve before the season started And then it goes to Gunnar Henderson, Andres Jimenez, who we saw one season. Was it fluke? Was it real? He's batting sixth for the Guardians. Then you get to Cronenworth and Brandon Lau. It gets ugly in a hurry at second. So this admittedly was not a value pick. I would love to pick Edmund a round or two later. But all things considered, it was another opportunity to kind of secure some speed early on and get runs and in the infield position knocked out. So I like Edmund. Um, I don't think it's going to be a a huge upside pick, but I do think he's going to land around 260 to 270 
10 to 15 homers should be 25 plus steals and really good runs to go with that. So that's kind of where I'm at. The only thing else I would mention with Edmund is he went through a really rough slump with the Cardinals this year where he batted 210. I I know that counts, right? It's a six week stretch. It matters. But outside of that, he was a 300 hitter. So there might be some upside with with the average um, is kind of a closing thought for Edmund there. Sure. Uh, the one pushback I'll have is that in a five by five, uh, the emphasis that he has on steals, I think is a little bit lower, but then, it, oh, I win the category. Maybe if I have, I mean, I personally don't go for steals as much. I, uh, you know, that's one a week, 1.5 a week is what 32 stolen bases are. If you're saying 25 is the floor, that's one a week. So you don't win the category. You, just, you get some help on it. Not as big of an emphasis as it is in Roto, where you can get multiple points for the year of having a guy like Edmund. And it's, it's a 13 fair, home fair runs, point. 57 RBI do, do bring you down, where that's a more competitive uh, category that you do want to be going for. 95 runs, absolutely. Hopefully he does stick in the top of the lineup. We saw him at nine at times uh, last year. Um, so Edmund, to me, isn't someone I'm circling. But then again... Getting the eligibility that he has at second base, uh, that's good. Gunnar Henderson is so intriguing to me, but only had three games. He's actually only at third base at the moment. He had three games at second base. We'll see where he lands uh, for the Orioles next year. Uh, I'm so curious about Gunnar Henderson. Um, but yeah, second base, this is why Mookie Betts, I'm telling you. That's you, don't want, a, hey. you don't want to have to go for Edmund, guys. You don't want to have to do this. <laughs> that Yeah. And that's one more reason. I mean, we, we kind of skipped over it, Nick, and not to spend too much time on it, but I think the top five or six picks in the draft, if you can get like a Mookie Betts, that string of top elite hitters goes all the way to like 18 with Goldschmidt and Harper yeah. and Austin Riley, like that feels perfect. And then you get your pick of the litter on SP ones, which I, I, that's where I'm kind of thinking is ideal for uh, draft order. Yeah, and I screwed it up. I didn't get Mookie Betts. <laughs> I got Kyle Tucker, who's good. Yeah. But I should have gotten Mookie Betts. I, I, I said to Scott in his draft and all of that. Okay. Sixth round is Eloy Jimenez. And Eloy, well, he's been battling some injuries, 84 games in 2022, just 55 in 21. But he was really productive in his uh, 84 games. 16 home runs, 54 RBI. You essentially want to double that. That turns into 30 home runs and well, 100 RBI for Eli Jimenez with a 295 average. Can he stay healthy? Is that this is another ascent pick here you know, that you're hoping Eloy has his breakout in 2023? This is the ascent pick, and what you were saying earlier is music to my ears and right aligned with my strategy of average and power. When you can get those two things together, it puts you in such a good spot later in the draft. And I think Eloy. If he stays healthy, which of course is the question, this is a guy who really belongs in the top three rounds. I mean, we saw, like you mentioned, uh, that, what was it, two years ago, he was on pace for 40 homers in the shortened season. Then he was being picked in like the 30s in the 2021 drafts before we lost a season to industry or to, to industry. To injury, huh. the and then la- just taking us down. Should we cheers now to industry? <laughs> uh, but last year, yeah, the hamstring injury to start, but then that second half, a 949 OPS, 16 homers, the average up there at 295, I think is pretty close to what we should expect for Eloy. 
I mean, how different is a healthy Eloy Jimenez from like a Freddie Freeman or a Vlad? Like that's the type of potential here. Just 25 years old. And this is one, again, when you think of how brutal the White Sox season was, I think this could be a really sneaky spot in the draft. And it's, I don't think you're paying too much for that upside. I mean, if you look at some of the hitters after him of like, you know, Kyle Schwarber, like none of them are going to have the average and pop that Eloy has. So I'm pretty happy with this pick. I know Steve and I were kind of hoping he wouldn't go off throughout the month of September so that we could uh, basically get a discount next year. But I think six round pick 62 overall, I'm fine jumping in here next year. Um, But what are your thoughts? Well, I don't know if it's going to be a 295 average um, again, but he was fourth in the majors in hard contact rate at 37.4%, which is shocking. Guy crushed the ball. Um, the average hard contact rate for a hitter is 26%. Um, so what? what is that, 40% more often than the average guy, which is yeah. insane. Um, that, yeah, the, he's, he's really good. Uh, is he going to be healthy again is what I'm going to ask. And I think it's worth it right now, very much so. You have Kyle Schwarber, Teoscar Hernandez, George Springer, Stalling Marte, and Byron Buxton are the next outfielders off the board. There is a question to be had. Eloy versus George Springer, because they both have the same question mark of health. Byron Buxton, I'm not including in this. Byron, come on. You're not, you're not healthy. We know you're not healthy. Right. We, we know this. Um, George Springer, at least there's a little bit more, more hope for more games, I think. Um, and I may be more inclined to go George Springer instead of Eloy, but I think both of them are going too late. So uh, I think I'm going to give you a seal of approval for this Eloy pick. Okay. We got one in the bag. We got one. We got yeah. one. I mean, two of the two of the four lines he's had in in his short career, he's been at that 295 mark, where I think Springer we know is like a notch below that would, would right. be my argument. But granted you got the a little bit more speed. So that that's a good it's a good uh side by side on it. But I, I would give Eloy the Yeah, I think I, I I'm leaning Eloy as well. Um and this is kind of what I'm talking about, finding your value, uh, where you think they can be better than where they're being drafted. Cease is not so much in the third round. Eloy in the sixth, that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, Blake Snell is the seventh round pick for you. And uh, explain to me why you want Blake Snell. So I think the the shortest answer possible is that the second half, we saw Snell be a top five starting pitcher. Um, it's the second year in a row that we saw that. And I was big on Blake Snell coming in to last year. High fastballs, low sliders, don't come close to the changeup. And uh, it was kind of all over the place. A little bit too much of the changeup. He walked that down throughout the season. Um, he did year over year cut the changeup use in half, which I think is good. But after he missed time with the the left adductor strain, we saw a fantastic version of Snell. 78 innings, 105 strikeouts, a 219 ERA, and a 103 whip. This pick is betting that we can finally see that Snell over 150 innings because the strikeouts are there. We know when he's on, he's terrific. But I know Snell at this point kind of has a reputation of coming with the headaches. Uh, with that said, I think 
you know, I'll be honest, I cringed when I saw Javier come off the board after yep. this because I was thinking, yep. I really <laughs> wish I would have just taken Javier. But I took Snell and I don't hate it compared to some of the pitchers that went after Javier. Um, I do believe that there is a ceiling from Blake Snell that he has shown in long, long enough stretches to where it's not ridiculous to think he could find a groove with that in San Diego. But yeah, you're not going to have a hard time telling me I should have grabbed Javier over Snell. Yeah, that, that's why I was going to shout at you. Um, I mean, I was really upset seeing Javier go off the board. I think Javier is Spencer Strider. So mm-hmm. <laughs> I think like the same, the same thing to me um, in many ways. I, the problem for me with Blake Snell is, I mean, you're not wrong. This is from July 23rd, 34% K rate, 103 whip, only a 6% walk rate. I mean, it's all the things you want. It's it's wonderful. 219 ERA. Um, Blake Snell did this last year. And I remember talking to him on Twitch and being like, yo, so the changeup's gone now, right? He goes, no, I can't wait to show off the changeup. Oh, gosh. And, and I was like, okay, I'm out on Blake Snell now for 2022. <laughs> and, you know, then he had his, of course, his injury. Um, and... Uh, it took him a moment to get back. He pitched an opening day. Didn't really actually pitch an opening day, right? And then, uh, or on that Sunday, and then returned on the 18th and was still kind of slow getting back into it. And then finally clicked on, you know, uh, July 1st. But I don't have faith in him. I don't have faith in, in consistency. And I have found my thing and I'm done. And that's a problem for me. Mm-hmm. Um, I, that's why I'm going to go with Christian Javier and I, I might be raising him a little from where I have him. I think I have him too far down. I have him at 47th right now. Um, and I put him in this tier of like, what are you? Um, but I, like, I should have him above say Nick Lodolo. And for that's in for the Snell. Of, yeah. And that's in the middle thirties right now. So I will be raising him up. I'll probably put him right behind like Framber Valdez and Logan Webb. Because okay. again, my my thought process is I need to get guys that I know that I want to start every single time. And Snell is still like, I don't I don't know if I'm gonna be wanting to hold on to him. Uh yeah. we've done it the past like two, three years now, and it's just I want to believe it. It was so good, but I feel like he just always has something. And Snell is, you know, it's not the the route I want to go when you have also Luis Severino, Nestor Cortez, who I think are legitimate. Um, Robbie Ray, that is legitimate. Uh, Framer Valdez is Tyler Glasnow. Honestly, you have an argument of saying Tyler Glasnow is Blake Snell in many ways of limited innings, high ceiling. But why wouldn't you take Tyler Glasnow instead? Um, he doesn't have the whole changeup thing to worry about that Snell does, right? Yeah. Yeah, so, I mean, it, it's it's again coming back in with the blind faith that he'll say, why don't I just do what I did for the last 80 innings yeah, that made right. me one of the best pitchers in baseball? It seems like such a logical, know. you know, this is like, I don't know, me, me drafting Kyrie. But he didn't do it entering yeah. this year. I don't know. But so that's why I'm, I'm a little more down on Snell, but I could be so wrong and he becomes one of the top 10 pitchers and that'd be wonderful to see. Yeah, um, it's my third my third pitcher with a thirty percent or higher K rate. So I'm kind of going that direction of the stuff is. Well, but. we're going to see that in your ninth round pick, but your eighth round 
as we're 45 minutes, we said we're going to go fast. And we took 15 minutes on three guys. <laughs> um, okay. Vinny Pascantino is, has arrived. And how did he look this year? Vinny P, I, I, along with the rest of the industry, were counting the days. Even <laughs> literally, there was the Twitter account of, you know, did Vinny Pasquantino get called up today? <laughs> I added him and, and stashed him for three weeks in a league and dropped him on the Friday when he was supposed to get called up. And my biggest rival in the league picked him up on Monday when he actually got called up. Oh. And at first, it was actually like... Maybe he's not this superhuman plate skills masher, but it was like the worst batted ball luck you could ever imagine. And he had like a 12% barrel rate and still just a 10% strikeout rate. And everyone said like, don't give up, don't give up. And it finally clicked and looked so good throughout the rest of the season that his final line across 72 games ended up being a 295 average with 10 homers and an 853 OPS my favorite part by far about Vinny P is that he walks 11% of the time and he strikes out 11% of the time. And that <laughs> is not an accident. All through the minors, this was his calling card. At 6'4 and like 240 pounds, it is a beautiful thing that he has the plate skills that he has. And I think this is a wonderful parachute first baseman if you miss out early. I like him so much that I didn't want to miss out, even though I had Vlad. Maybe 86 is a, a touch early, de- depending on where he lands with counting stats and everything with the Royals, but he should bat third or fourth. Uh, the barrel rate should be amongst the best in the league. And I like Vinny P to be 285, 25 homers, 160 runs in RBIs. And it could be even better if his home run to fly ball rate kind of creeps up. We haven't seen a ton of him, but this guy's a real deal, and I'm so excited to draft him next year. I want you to be right. Uh, one of my favorite things that I like to quote here, as you guys know, is hard contact rate. And guess what? In his short time last year, Vinny P uh, ranked eighth among all hitters in hard contact rate, which is pretty dang cool. Sorry, ninth, uh, 36% hard contact uh, in his about 300 plate appearances. Ah, he, he mashes the ball. And uh, I look forward to seeing this first full season in the bigs. 32% fly ball rate. Maybe that comes up a little bit. Maybe Kansas City doesn't dampen so mm-hmm. many home runs, hopefully. But the 295 average should be at least here to stay, as he is also a power guy. And that seems like another... No, I can't give you another seal of approval, can I? I mean, I mean, I, I, I mean you might, I might be targeting him. Eighth round is... I would hope to maybe get him in like the ninth or tenth, but... If you get a, if you don't get a first baseman, that's the one to go. I messed up because Jose Breu, Crone, and Walker were the ones that I associated at this point to Nathaniel Lowe, and totally forgot about Vinny P. Um, I might give you a retroactive one. Let's see how the rest of your draft goes. Okay, um, okay, I'll take ninth, it. Ninth round is Hunter Green. Oh boy, uh, why are you jumping for Hunter Green? Yeah, so this one is indisputably uh, a reach here, but this was. <laughs> Uh, kind of the get your guy mode where I was looking at all of the starting pitchers that were out there and there were a handful that I liked as kind of glue pieces, but Hunter Green felt like one that was, you know, who's this year's blank where they go at pick 150 or 160 and then they finish in the top 60 overall players. 
And here I am, round nine, SP35 at 107 overall, grab Hunter Green because, Nick, I go back to a lesson you talked about last year where it was for the top blue chip prospects that come up, what you want to see for a pitcher is they perform, but then they take their lumps and they write the ship. And I loved what we saw in the last six starts of the season for Hunter Green with all the the upside and potential everyone knew he had with the, his velocity leading the entire MLB on the 99 mile per hour fastball, he finally put it together, 35 innings, 51 strikeouts, a 102 ERA and a 0.85 whip. There were light matchups in there, but the one that stood out was against my Cardinals, 6 innings, struck out 11 batters against a good Cardinals offense. And yeah, this is uh, you know, again, kind of a blind faith that he will take this into next year, sort the walks out a little bit. Um, but overall, probably one of the best upside pitchers past that first group. And I didn't want to miss out. And it was a little bit of a reach, but a bold SP4 to go with uh, Blake Snell, Cease, and Strider. A lot of potential and a lot of volatility in the staff so far. Yeah, so oof, I want to believe. I, I really do appreciate you uh, mentioning the take their lumps and then they deal with it. Ah, oh, I forgot about that. And I was like, oh yeah, that's that's a smart thing. Who said that? I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, but uh, no, when he came back with the four seamer, nineteen uh, percent swing strike rate in those last six starts for Hunter Green. That's a huge deal. Uh, it, it is a pitch that we didn't actually think got that many whiffs at first. Uh, it was more hittable, we would say. Um, than we expected it to be overall for the season 14.6 percent right um, and before this uh, I can bring that up before I uh, before he had that six start stretch it was just a 13 percent swing striker so jump from 13 to 19 percent in those six starts is pretty dang cool he was throwing it much better upstairs as well and if Hunter Green can locate that four seamer up and keep the slider down yeah, things will be good <laughs> for Hunter Green with the hardest fastball in the majors. I do have concerns about that being a thing that is real. Uh, we yeah. really, we saw him uh, have that one good start on the you know, the twenty sixth, and then he left and went to the minors, and then he or sorry, he had the, then he went August first, then went to the was out for six weeks, and then came back and had four good starts again after that, and kind of kept around with the same gains that he had. Uh, actually, more so, I should say that the 26 and the first did not have as good of a fastball. The last four games where we saw swing strike rates of 23, 35, 16, and 20 on that four-seamer. Uh, so that's really, when we want to talk about the six starts, it's really those four um, that really made that impact, which makes it harder for me to say, oh, yeah, this is him now. Um, mm-hmm. But it's so alluring. Oh, you really want to believe that Hunter Green has figured this out. I think it's still going to be volatile, but I think he's still going to be a bit of a cherry bomb, which is why I ranked him so low at 61 um, initially. I've already mentioned that I'm going to be raising him back up probably into the 40s. Um, Where you drafted Hunter Green was the end of the ninth. And with Lance Lynn, George Kirby, Logan Gilbert, and Logan Webb, and Chris Bassett all on the board, I can't justify that because those guys are, those are five that you're never going to remove from your lineup. You're never going to worry about you're not going to think, oh, man, oh, I don't know if I like this or whatever. Hunter Green will do that to you regardless. He's not mm-hmm. solved yet. I hope he really explodes. 
Don't let the six starts tell you that, oh, Hunter Green's figured it out. Now he's going to have the Spencer Strider-esque season. No, <laughs> that's not what's awaiting Hunter Green. So I would not take the chance here. I'm trying to avoid his... And you've already taken a lot of headaches in C. Strider and Snell, uh, potential ones. And I would have settled Lance Lynn. George Kirby, I think, is a fun one with a good floor, too, mm-hmm. um, that I might have gone for instead. But... I mean, it's it's really interesting. I don't know. Like, there's there's this big crop now. Like, Freddie Freeman, Tony Gonson, John Gray, Jesus Lazardo, Pablo Lopez, Joe Ryan, Andrew Heaney. There are so many that could just pop off and be incredible. Hunter Green, I understand if you want to say, like, okay, leading the pack of that. But uh, you're going to see some wildly different ranks because of that. That, like, 30 to 60 is just, oh, boy, there's a lot of fun, you know? And that's the ramble for the day. For sure. Yeah. I think, you know, the, the, the strikeout upside, you know, this is a deeper triple down on Cease and Strider that maybe one more shot at getting a guy who, you know, could somehow wind up in like a top 15 SP and beat his value. But it is a little early. I think let's put a pin in that because I do have some theories on my follow up pitchers mm, because okay. of that. Well, then you got your closer in the 10th round, Rizel Iglesias. Yeah, and I think this one we can we can save a little time on, but you know Kenley Jansen moving on uh, as soon as Iglesias joined the Braves, he looked terrific. Thirty strikeouts in twenty six innings, only gave up one run. Uh, he should be their guy next year. I think by draft season, this will not be a tenth round reliever or closer. I think he's going to be at least four, three or four rounds sooner. He threw his yeah. changeup a lot more and saw fantastic results from that uh still has a solid fastball and yeah that's pretty much it i saw the the closers going yeah yeah i mean it's insane i I should have done this instead of cal rally in the ninth round uh so (laughs) fair oh because you had yet to get a closer i had not gotten a closer there's rizel glacius in the ninth round what am i doing i know oh i want to be done with catcher and everything like i would have been fine there's more better i'm oh rizel glacius seal approval 11th round is joe ryan Joe Ryan's interesting. Uh, what are your thoughts on Joe? So finally a pitcher with a strikeout rate under 30%. 30% and yeah, right. <laughs> finally a pitcher who I probably got at value here at pick mm-hmm. 131. He was the 46th pitcher off the board. And I like Joe Ryan. I think he's well, he likes solid and and uh, 100, about a strikeout per inning from Joe Ryan. The, the walk rate is better than anyone else on my staff at this point. Uh, and it even came up a little bit from where it was at in 21, but yeah, just under 8% on the walk rate, you know, he's got that wonky delivery and I think it really makes his fastball better than it seems on paper. Uh, the 26% whiff rate, throw that metric out again. That's really good for a fastball. And yeah, I think as an SP five, given what I had done with the rest of my staff, this is kind of a, a glue guy a little bit. And I feel like if you flipped him and Hunter Green and said Joe Ryan was at 110 and Hunt or Joe Ryan was at 107 and Hunter Green is at 131, it might feel a little bit better. But that's kind of along the theory of get your guy if you're worried someone's going to snipe him, especially if you're drafting on one of the swings. And Joe Ryan kind of fell to me and I think he's I think he's solid. So that's that's where I'm at. I like I think the volume could step up to where he could be. 165, 170 innings, and the ratios should be good, and the strikeout rate should be close to a strikeout per inning, which I'll take here. Yeah, Joe Ryan has 
Well, okay, so he has the Twins against him, I think. Uh, the, the Twins have been more of a team to limit their guys uh, in games, saying third time to the lineup penalty and all that. However, he did have multiple games of seven innings in September. He did have six in his last game. I think Joe Ryan would be the one to buck that trend and save the pen in uh, in Minnesota. Um, I want his slider to develop. He has a really good four-seamer, 14% swing strike rate, limits hard contact, 25% is way better than the 31% league average. You're thinking, that's not that great. Well, when you can throw it so consistently, that's really good. When you throw 60% of the time and you're below average or allowing less hard contact than everybody else, that's very good. 179 batting average allowed is insanely good last year. Uh, it just mm-hmm. requires for him to take the next step, the slider to get great. And sure, 355 ERA, 110 whip, 25% carry rate. There is no next step needed if he can replicate that, yeah. right? Uh, 16% swing strike rate. I think that can get better. I find myself going more after Joe Ryan because of I like the fastball. And uh, given how successful he has been, um, the slider, I think, should improve too. 67% strike rate, though. That's a huge deal for him. Uh, it's technically a money pitch at 41% O swing, 41% zone rate, and 16% swing strike rate. And if that gets better, fastballs up, sliders down more consistently, you can see a real breakout from Joe Ryan this year. And we can kind of look back and go, wait, this guy did really well. Should probably go more than 147 innings, closer to 170, 180, and has over you know strikeout per inning with a low whip. Why did? How did we see this coming? Why is he going around pick 130 or so? Why isn't he going to the top 100, right? So I think mm-hmm. Joe Ryan, for me, will be one of those guys. I'm like, yeah, I'm circling him. I might actually be putting him into the Logan Webb tier. Um, I don't know. I got a debate on that one because I do, I do expect more innings from like the Bassett and Webb and Gilbert and Kirby and stuff, but he's not far away from it. So I like this pick. I, You needed this too. Seal of approval, 11th round. You got All it. All right. That was waiting for it. That's yeah, great to hear. You, you Nick, get that one. You. Anytime, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I mean, I'm also well, looking at the rest of the the options. Andrew Heaney, McCullers, Sale, Flaherty, Montes, Springs, May. I mean, this is the last one that's like safe. Questions. Yeah, question yeah. marks. I feel yeah, you should feel pretty good about it. Um, and I really do think the slider gets better. Even though I, I think I was underrating the slider before this conversation. Still Quick question. Quick question. Yes. Nick, if... We did flip Hunter Green and Joe Ryan. Would you have liked Hunter Green at this range before Heaney and McCullers and Sale? Absolutely. Flipping this, I would say, okay, you like Joe Ryan more than Kirby and Lynn and Webb and Gilbert Bassett. I'm like, I don't know if I feel that way, but that's pretty close. Um, And I was saying before with Green, it's like, where are you going after? I want Jesus Lazardo before Hunter Green, uh, personally. I think that's like a, he's figured this out. It's just health there. I. and that's gonna that's really good. John Gray, I think I like too. He's he's kind of rock solid to me at this point. Yeah. Um, but uh, but then again, the, both of those guys are injury stuff, and you say what you want about Hunter Green there. Um, I'm just glad you know to to date on this show we haven't anything as rough as the Ranger Suarez in the tenth round I had last year. So that was you. Um, oh that, boy, yeah, that was me, Nick. We'll, but we'll just keep moving. I know I we're remember, short I remember on time. Seeing it on the left, uh, I remember. Yeah, you were the first pick, and I remember seeing all the way on the left being Ranger Suarez in the tenth, and going Ranger Suarez in the tenth <laughs> round. We're oh. short on time, though. You know, we got to. You know, he was my first. He was my stuff. first uh, auction draft um, get. This year in Tat Wars was Ranger Suarez. Really? Because it was an RPSP league. 
So I got him at like six or seven dollars. And I was so like, I am spark, so yeah. happy with this. I feel like later on, people were spending like twelve, thirteen dollars on it. Um, like Severino went there. I was like, oh, I wish I could have had Severino at that. I was mm-hmm. so upset. I didn't get that one. But uh, but yeah. Suarez, I was like, OK, that's a sneaky one. That was my first one. I couldn't believe it. All right. Um, Santander, Anthony Santander was your 12th round pick. You have only one outfielder at this point. And you're like, oh, I yep. got to get some guys. Yep. So solidify the uh, outfield with some pop here. I do like Santander. Uh, in five by five last year, he finished 97 overall. So getting him here at pick 134. And his stat cast page lights up. Uh, I think I mean, it's pitch you know, page. Yes. Yes. And, and that's what on, <laughs> on, on the line, it actually is a 240 average, but the XBA is higher than that at 257. And he's, he's hit in the 260 range a couple seasons ago um, for two seasons in a row. So I think there's a little upside on the batting average. 33 homers, surprisingly good counting stats with the Orioles, 89 RBIs, 78 runs, and yeah, the barrel rate was terrific, 11.6%. He's only 28 years old, so this is kind of the power prime for Santander. And he just, I, I like the the plate skills. He strikes out only 19% of the time, walks 8.5% of the time, was surprised to see on his pitcher list page, 13th in the MLB and ex-WOBA. So mm-hmm. that makes me think that the runs are not a fluke at 78, even though he's kind of a bigger guy. Um, and the Orioles want to keep him. So I think he could just stay batting third or fourth and kind of replicate what he did this year. This average, which is a little bit low, is exactly what I think you can pair with like a Vinny Pasquantino, Eloy Jimenez, Vlad, Bichette. I think I've got the batting average floor for Santander and my next hitter as well, which was kind of uh, part of the strategy of, you know, get get an average cushion in the first, you know, eight rounds and you'll be in good shape down the stretch. So we calculate XWOBA slightly differently um, than StackCast. It's using a lot of the same data. We just kind of change things slightly. He's at 15th with XWOBA. 15th. Okay. So if you're confused, okay. uh, 376 because you were still looking on the StackCast page. How dare you? Um, but, uh, <laughs> I thought I actually pulled that one from the pitcher list, but I must've gotten like dyslexic on, the, uh, uh the but I uh, 13th in home runs and 13th in RBI, um, this past year for, uh, for Santander. Gotcha. Um, but I, I do wonder that offense should get better for, for Baltimore next year. And maybe there's some room for growth here. I remember the entire year, him and uh, Christian Walker were these two guys. That's like, all right, week to week, like, yeah, are we still going with this? It's a low average. Are they just going to keep consistently hitting home runs like this? And then by the end of the year, like, oh, yeah, they are. <laughs> um, and you have one of those every year who's on your wire who is doing well, but it's, is this going to last kind of thing? And you always feel like, all right, are, am I okay with this? Am I hurting myself or not? And you don't quite know. Um, he is an average dump, as you mentioned. But I think for you, Makes sense. I, don't, I see the rest of the, the outfielders. Hunter Renfro, someone that's kind of similar to this. Mm-hmm. Um, that That's fine. Yeah, it works. Um, I'm going to keep moving because we are definitely going to go long on this one. Um, Eugenio Suarez was next um, at 13 in the 13th round. You have Edmund at second, so you need a third baseman and you found Suarez. Yes, this is uh, has some irony because I think it was like my first pitcher list year. I was 
the detractor of Suarez when he was going at like 70 overall. Oh, is that right? And, and, oh, Twitter ganged up on me. I had Alex Chase throwing stats at me. I was in trouble and it actually worked out for me. I was scared of the, the plate discipline and all that, but you're not getting him. I mean, here it's baked in it. it pick 155 coming off a season back to back seasons where he had 31 homers. The barrel rate is elite, just shy of 15%. He had the highest fly ball rate of his career. Sure, the average uh, that was at 236 this year, I would expect that to come down and even be closer to 220. So this is much more of a, a dent in the batting average. But, you know, the Mariners paid up and they like Suarez. I think he's still going to hit in the heart of that order. The The counting stats should be solid. This year they were. They were around 163 quick maths on runs and RBIs. So it's not the sexiest pick. I'm not uh, a huge Suarez guy this season, but when you've got an average cushion and you need a third baseman, which was the other huge part of this pick, uh, it just made sense at that time. So I went with it. Want to know something funny about Eugenio Suarez? We we had some internal discussions about what defines a fly ball. And you might be like, what are you talking about? It's a fly ball. No, 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 no. Is it a line drive or a fly ball? And that's a really tough question to answer. Um, you can say, oh, it's that's a just a launch, launch angle. angle? Yeah. But then if you do that, then line drives leave the stadium um, at times. And it's sure. just like, well, okay, do we do it this one or that? Long story short, we have a home run fly ball rate that's different because we have fly balls that are a little bit different. It's generally very similar to everything else. It's just a little bit different. But Eugenio Suarez, oh, man. 2019, when he hit 49 home runs, according to us, 60% home run fly ball rate. Wow. So when he was hitting it in the air, when he actually like legitimately, no, it's in the air. Yeah, it went out (laughs) six out of 10 times, which is shocking. Since then, 24%, 21%, and 20% for us. That said, he hit a lot more fly balls, uh, 10 points up in fly ball rate in 2020, 21, and 22 and the hard contact went dramatically up. Only 18% hard contact in 2019. And it's been around 24% across the next three years, including last year in 2022. So Suarez, I kind of buy it. Um, I mean, that's back-to-back years of 31 home runs. You got something that's like, yeah, all right, I'm going to endure this. The average, mm, well, yeah. But you did get some good average guys. It fits. Suarez is like the last backup third baseman you can really go for, right? Uh, who do you want to go for instead? I, I can't really see one. Well, and he's my starter, unfortunately. Um, oh, no, I mean, as in like someone you, you didn't get one at the top. of. Oh, the right, right, right. Like a fallback. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I don't mean like, yeah, backup. you shouldn't I'm, you shouldn't think of like, oh, no, I need a backup of every position on my bench. Like, no, 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 no. Does not work like that. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I'd count on him over like a Cabrian Hayes, who, yeah, it seems like underlying always looks good. But the surface production he's just Toby of there. hitters. Toby yes. the hitters is Cabrera. I dropped him this year. I said that yep. to Shelly Verstray and she she gasped <laughs> uh, years ago. Um, but uh, Brandon Drury is also someone in that range that went early in the round that I think is another like, okay, my last ditch effort for a third baseman. Um, if he still, I believe he still has eligibility for that. Uh, and that, that's something to consider. But Taylor Ward went in the 14th. I was hoping to snag Taylor Ward in this round, actually. Because yeah, yes, this was- he was so he was like the he was Mike Trout for the first two months or whatever, and then he got hurt and it wasn't the same. 
but he did kind of come back at the end, which was encouraging just to to prove it wasn't a complete fluke. But yeah, this one got some oohs and ahs in the the chat room. And I think it was just because of the the discount at pick 158. When you look at his overall line, 281 average, 23 homers, five steals, good counting stats, and just in 135 games. The BABIP was high at 325, so I don't think he's like a true 280 hitter. Maybe he's a 270 hitter, but the barrel rate was solid, very solid at 12.4%. Number 38 overall hitter in ideal plate approach, which I really like. I think the walk rate at 10.6% is underrated for Ward. You're going to want him to get on base with Otani and Trout there. And yeah, I think the even though he had just the five steals, he got caught stealing a few times, so I think with the bigger bases, this could be a du- double-digit steal guy, and I think when you put it all in the mixer for Taylor Ward, it's a really good shot at like a 270-25-10 with maybe 75-80 runs and RBIs. Like I like it in that lineup. He should hit near the top, what, four or five in that order, so... I think in the 14th round, this is a guy who's not going to kill you anywhere. And it's exactly what I needed with only having two outfielders at this point in the draft. In Taylor Ward's final 150 plate appearances, 353 average uh, with an ideal plate appearance of 40%, which is super high. Uh, His Wobe was 417, seven home runs, 20 runs, 21 RBI, and two stolen bases. You're not wrong. He did figure it out by the end. And, oh, I love this pick. I love it. Am I giving you? Yeah, this is the last one you get, I think. So, seal of approval for All right, we'll take in the 14th round. Uh, oh, now, man. let's talk about these last eight picks um, and mm-hmm. how much I hate them. I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> I mean, no, but it's it's Patrick Sandoval in the 15th round. And it's really hard to figure out what to make of Sandoval. What do you see? Yeah, in hindsight, this was the one that I got, you know, really uh, vocal because Adam sniped me with Aaron Ashby right after. Mm. I think Ashby, there's a clearer path with the ground ball rate and the swing and miss, but I didn't pick him, so I can't really talk about him. Sandoval, I'm kind of doubling down on all the hype last year. For as disappointing as his year was, he still had a 2.91 ERA. The changeup regressed a little bit, Oh yeah, which is unfortunate, but it still had a, a really good whiff rate at 44%. It's just... He, he couldn't actually get guys out with it like he did the year before. Um, he threw his slider way more, which is a, a good pitch, but not great. And yeah, I mean, overall here, it's like his fastball gets clobbered. If he can somehow improve the fastball, the control is an issue. So it's a big if, but if he can improve either the fastball or the control, you know, a, again, a 291 ERA is just fine and around a strikeout per inning. But really, this is just hoping that it all clicks like it did in 2021, and we actually see Sandoval take a step forward. But it's not my favorite pick, and I was kind of kicking myself that I did not get Ashby here instead. Yeah, Sandoval's too volatile for me. Um, 134 whip really hurt you as he maintained the 9% plus walk rate, and his hit per nine went up to 8.4. The changeup just wasn't there day to day. Some games, it really did. But he had about a 60-61% strike rate, and that's not enough for it to be an elite pitch. The slider actually was really good. Uh, it saved Sandoval's season. Uh, 44% O-swing is excellent. 44% zone rate, get that? Excellent. 
uh, near 20% swing strike rate. These are fantastic marks, 70% strike rate. A 21% hard contact rate is a little surprising. It essentially tells me he made more mistakes in the zone with it. Um, but this is a, it's a really aw awesome pitch for him. And if he's able to get the change it back to what it was in 2021... I mean, the swinging strike rate wasn't gone. And really, 24% on the changeup is really good. Yeah, that is. Um, it's just he wasn't able to uh, rely on it um, in certain starts. And then certain starts, then it showed up. And it was great. But he can't just be a slider guy. Fastball and sinker are terrible. They're really, really bad. So I don't know what to expect from Sandoval. And I feel like we'll be in purgatory. He'll be a hipster, a headache-inducing pitcher that stifles the entire roster. So... You want to avoid that if you can, um, which is why I'm generally moving away from Sandoval. Ashby is interesting because Ashby has a problem with commanding his sinker. And if he can't do that, things might not go well. Um, I'm liking, I think, the guys that got picked after. I like Grayson Rodriguez. Um, Kopech is an interesting one because you'll know earlier on. And I think that's a major point I'm trying to make is having the knowledge of your pick in April early really important um, to grasp, okay, this was something I'm good with that I'm going to hold on to or get rid of. Mackenzie Gore, I th feel more confident in that way. Tyler McGill, I do. Um, Mike Soroka, I do. Sandoval, I feel like you're just going to kind of be, again, hipster and uh, headache-inducing uh, for a while, and you won't get rid of him. You'll just be in this purgatory. So I'm personally away from that. Not to say that he won't perform better than them. It's just knowing what to do is also part of the value i think yeah you want to be agile in the first month for yes. whoever else pops up it. from yeah yeah um that's just the way i'm at with it but hey maybe sandoval shows up and goes oh yeah, hey here's a 10 strikeout game in the first week You're like okay maybe this is good uh hi nico horner um in the 16th round i uh, is this your backup shortstop this is a final util slot okay I see. And I like I like Nico Horner here. So let me let me try to convince you. So <laughs> you already know that I'm out. OK, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, you said, let, let's talk about how we hate the rest of the, the draft. Here. Oh, so, yeah. Fair enough. OK. So Nico Horner hit 281, 10 yeah. homers, 20 steals and just 135 games on the Cubs, who are not good, where he batted in the middle of the lineup. And I think that is egregious when you have a guy who the past two seasons before this had a 10% walk rate and 280 is not out of the expectations. I think that's pretty close to his true talent. Why is he not leading off or hitting second for the Cubs? I think that he might this year, which has some upsides for the counting stats. What I love most is he strikes out just 11% of the time. So if he can pair that with his past walk rates, because this year his walk rate was just 5.4%, but in years prior, again, it was closer to 10%. Suddenly, you got a guy who's walking the same rate as he's striking out. The, the speed is for real. I mean, just 135 games, 20 steals, bigger bases. If he can play a full season, this might be a 25-steal guy, 275 average, maybe 10 to 15 homers. This feels like it's kind of a discount Tommy Edmond. And I think it's rare this late in the draft to get a guy who, who gives you average he won't give you a zero in homers. He's going to be a plus in steals. And I think the spot in the order could make his runs a plus as well. So that is my my quick pitch on Nico Horner. He's just 25 years old. I think he's kind of a sneaky, uh, definitely like a, a middle infield. But Util, I took it here 
as well after going with Eugenio and uh, Santander before this. Yeah, that all makes sense. He has a lot more value in Roto Leagues to me, um, and, and especially deeper leagues too, uh, where you get an oh man, you have a stolen base guy. So you're thinking about walk rate. Actually, I don't want him to increase the walk rate because I wanted to put the ball in play more. You don't get walks in head-to-head leagues. You don't get credit for those. But you do get credits for hits. And, True. and when he's not walking, if the K rate stays the same, sure, just put more chances in play for me to get a hit from Nico Horner at a 281 average, right? So I'll take an extra hit instead of two walks a week or something like that. <laughs> yeah, at, that, Adam brought up, uh, that was a good point too. On the, Yeah, for, for guys who are a plus in average, you'd prefer them to be getting more hits with that good average, right, which exactly. yeah, that definitely makes sense. Um, but, uh, but yeah, all right, that's fine. I don't think I'm going to go for it in a, in my 12 teamers. Cause I, I think I'm just going to stare and be like, is this enough? Like what's going on in my life? Um, <laughs> but I, I understand if, especially like I need somebody for steals and I have no second baseman or shortstop. I'm like, okay, fine. Nico Horner, mm-hmm. come on by. I don't know if he has second base eligibility actually right now, but Fairly short. short start. Uh, yeah. Justin Steele. Justin Steele. Look at you, huh? 17th round. Uh, what? Why are you chasing Justin Steele? I was liking Justin Steele this whole season. Steve and I talked about him in April. We loved that he was ramping up the slider all in way of his sinker, which was not a good pitch last year. So his slider use went from 16% all the way up to 31%. And it's a good pitch. Um Pretty good whiffs, but the batting average against of just 136. And he had some injury issues, only only through 119 innings, but 126 Ks, a 318 ERA. It's the whip of 135, which hurts, which is mainly around his walk rate, which is inflated. But he had some games where he definitely put it together. Six starts throughout the season with nine or more strikeouts. His ground ball rate at 52% was 12th in the majors. If you slide down to 119 innings for uh, qualified pitchers for that. So he, he got injured to kind of end his season in August, but in his uh, second half leading up to that, it looked terrific. 36 innings, 47 strikeouts, a 0.98 ERA and the whip, which is the, the pain point of 123. So, he he had improved the walk rate in that little stint, but it still wasn't great. Overall, I think at this spot in the draft, though, I'm looking for a guy who has shown flashes of nine, 10 strikeouts. And Justin Steele did that enough last year to where it really got my attention. So I think it's worth a shot. And if it's not working out, you kind of move on. But um, he's an interesting one because it seems like his swing and strike rate isn't as high as some of his strikeout per game numbers, if that makes sense. But that's kind of my rationale for Steele. Uh, what What are your thoughts on him, Nick? I, um, uh, hmm. I, <laughs> his last six, uh, sorry, his last 11 games, 210 ERA, 123 whip, and a 29% K rate. That's really cool. Still isn't quite going six frames that often. Um, he only had, he had five of those games go six. He had, some four and two thirds three and two thirds lots of fives in there and i do hope that he gets stretched out more it is ultimately just fastball slider and i don't really like the the fastball that much there are times he's able to elevate it and they keep the slider down the slider is way better than i expected 14.5 percent hard contact allowed is insanely good 136 average allowed but only 61 percent strike rate 
And he's got to get that strike rate up on the slider. If he does that, if Steele does that, and then is able to keep the four-seamer up, there's something legitimate here. I, I do wonder, as a two-pitch guy, I don't think his four-seamer is elite. And I think the slider is good, but it, it's, you know, the numbers are good, but it's not, like, it It would be close to, like, Christian Javier's slider um, if the four-seamer was Christian Javier's four-seam. Mm-hmm. And the four-seamer had 9.7% swing strike rate last year. That's the issue to me. So without that amazing heater dominating, it makes it tougher, in my view, to believe in Justin Steele. But I understand the love. I get it. It could work out. Um, I think you're going to be able to kind of see early in season this is working out. And maybe maybe its velocity goes up 92.2. Who knows? Follow that one. I will be more in on Justin Steele if I see him sitting 94 next year. If all of a sudden, like in spring training, that's what's happening. Mm, yeah, I'll be getting him everywhere if that's the case. Interesting pick. Um, there aren't too many left that are that intriguing. So all fine with Justin Steele. Just be ready to drop him if it's not looking good early. I yeah. uh, we have we have some more picks left. So we gotta I gotta breeze through this. Yes, Monty Grandal is your catcher, huh? Yes, this was my. Uh probably my biggest miss last year because I was really excited. Second half of 2021, he hit 337 with an 1154 OPS, changed his swing while he was in the minors. Uh, he was a disaster last year. He batted 202 with five homers and 99 games, had a knee sprain. I could talk through all of the dreadful stats that went the wrong yeah, direction, but the, the headline here, Nick, is that he talked about how the knee was bothering him and he has high hopes for 23. If you're going to wait until the 18th round for a catcher, I think getting a guy who spent five years in a row with 20 to 25 homers and didn't kill you on average at 240, it's it's worth a shot to see if that was just a, a, an injury issue and the White Sox being a dumpster fire. But that's my rationale here for the Catcher carousel. I get that. Teller Stevenson's another one to consider. Travis Darno, uh, Sean Murphy um, are other ones out there. I don't know if Kybert Ruiz went. It could be something where it's like, all right, you just kind of monitor what's good early in the season. And then you have Travis, uh, sorry, Yasmani Grandal, who could catch fire early on too. Uh, I'm preferring, I think, to go after Adley Rutschman where I can. I think that six round value for him is like, yep, I think I'm going to circle that one um, because okay. I think that's such a step up. And a huge, huge deal to get that in the sixth round. Anyway, Miguel Vargas. Uh, you see what from Miguel Vargas next year? Oh, I'm pumped about this one. <laughs> uh, the Dodgers declined Justin Turner uh, as of today as we're recording this mm. on on his contract so or his option. So now Vargas is slated as the third baseman for the Dodgers. We'll see if that sticks. Maybe Muncy slides over. Vargas plugs in somewhere at DH. He had a, a terrible cup of coffee in 18 games. I'm throwing it out the window. He was phenomenal in AAA uh, across 113 games, a 304 average and a 915 OPS, 17 homers, 16 steals, and another guy who walks as often as he strikes out, both around 14.5%. I think Vargas could easily be NL Rookie of the Year and I think if he gets 150 games, it's not ridiculous to think 285, 25 homers and 10 steals with the Dodgers around him for counting stats. 
I had the favor of drafting him here before the Turner news, and I don't think if he has playing time, he's going to last till the 19th round. Doesn't matter for me. I'm a Vargas guy. I will be having a lot of shares next year. I got to think the Dodgers are going to get something else. Uh, I think they like this guy. Um, I hope I hope not, though. And it's exactly the kind of pick you should be making the 19th round, because if they do, then you just get something else and you're not really going to lose that much value because all these guys are massive shrug at this time. It's almost a seal of approval. So between Vinny P and Vargas, you get one seal of approval. Um, <laughs> Rafael Montero, okay. uh, 20th round. You got another possible closer here. Yeah, dart throw, closer time. And I like this quite a bit. Um, you know, he was obviously a completely different pitcher when he went with the Astros compared to the Mariners. Uh, elite fastball. Still found his way into 14 saves on the season. Solid World Series run. He's a free agent. This is kind of an unfair thing to speculate because, again, if he signs with like the Marlins or whoever and he actually has a closer job, he's going to go a lot sooner. But uh, really good stuff. And he improved a lot of the warts uh, with kind of locating pitches and a 237 ERA, a 102 whip, had a really good run in the World Series. Uh, or the playoffs in general. So, yes, I think it's a, a good dart throw when you're looking for any help at closer. Nice. Uh, and also, Rick Graham released his top, 20, top 125 uh, relievers for safe and holds. You, should, you guys should check that out on the site. Uh, Jose Quintana, Brian Bayo, and Joey Votto, your last three. Jose Quintana, uh, why are you going there? This is reverse. I usually go complete upside at the end of my rotation, but given the insane volatility. I thought, why not get a guy who's offering a little bit of stability and volume, which I think Quintana will do. He was really good with the Cardinals when he moved over a 201 ERA and a 112 whip, a decent fastball, a good curveball and a a solid change that he mixes up in there. But probably the best part is just that he's actually knows his control. And I think he's going to be not a help in the strikeout department, but could be a decent solidifier if you want to go that route. I typically go upside this late, but my draft was kind of upside down with pitchers. Ha, there you go. Upside down. I like that. Uh, with Quintana, four-seamer was up. Uh, curve was down and changeup was away. Uh, and he had it, like glimpses of it in previous seasons, and he just finally put it all together for one, and it's wild. I don't really expect it to stick around next year. But maybe you get like an early stream with Quintana, and then it, you keep going like a Merrill Kelly. Vargas mm-hmm. rule and we'll see if just look at the schedule early for Quintana if you don't like the first start then there's no reason to hold on to him I think um Brian Bayo um uh, for with the 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 Red Sox slider's good change up got better as it went on fastball still worries me do you hope that there's something left here for Brian Bayo yeah I think this is much more the end of the draft type of pick oh yeah um he was terrific in high minors across 160 innings, 216 strikeouts over the past two years. So he's proven that uh, in the majors, one bright spot to me was the 55% ground ball rate. I think he needs that slider to come along with whiffs, but he he does get good spin on it. And I like that the sinker sits at 96. He gets good extension on it and the changeup has some swing and miss in it. So he's just 24 years old. He should be in the rotation. And I think it's one that it's like, check out two or three starts. If it's as ugly as it was this season, then just move on. But I think there's definite upside here. I like his mentality of wanting to be 
more than the next Pedro Martinez, but the first Brian Bayo. So <laughs> there you I, go. I, I like him. Uh, yeah, the sinker, the sinker to me is not good. 38% hard contact allowed is a huge issue. Um, changeup did get better as it went on, still underneath the 60% strike rate. But if that sticks around and then the slider sticks around, I mean, it should be better than a 9% swing striker, but 23% called strike rate. Like he relies on that to get strikes and then change up to get whiffs. It's just you need a better sinker. So hopefully he does. Hopefully he actually maintains that. He had some success in his last uh, six starts that did Bayo. Um, but I don't really see a major strikeout guy despite his velocity with that sinker. And we had 20.5% this year. Probably isn't going to go past 25%. I think I'd rather go for something that has more tangible ceiling early on than Brian Bayo- Bailey Ober went, which I think is great. So did Ranger Suarez, yeah. uh, just so you know. I'm just kidding. Uh, Van Burnett. Um, <laughs> and Sixo Sanchez, Nathan Nivaldi. I think all of those, say for Suarez, I would rather go for. But it's just something to think about. And lastly, you went with uh, Joey Votto. Look at this guy. Yeah, this is uh, like the Mr. Irrelevant last pick of the draft here. But what better player than Joey Votto. I mean, one year ago, we were all hype about the 36 homer season he had. He was top five in every batted ball metric. And then he had a disastrous 2022. But then he ended with the rotator cuff surgery and was quoted saying, I didn't know I was hurt. I just thought I stunk. And now uh, the next quote from Votto is about him coming back in 2023 is, I'd like to have a strong finish to my career and be proud and if I'm going to bet on a guy to actually ride off into the sunset, saving uh, the reputation and putting some production out there, I think Vado is not a ridiculous thought. I mean, he shocked us so many times throughout his career. I think he could have kind of a Pujolsian type of finale here and be honestly a pretty this late in the draft. You're looking for anything. And I think Vado will get the playing time. It's not ludicrous to think that it clicks for him and he's something close to that 25-30 homer guy who can bat 255-260. All right, there you go. That's Joey Votto, and that is your team, Van Burnett. So, on a scale of 1 to 23, how do you feel about this team? Uh, what's the So, 23 is the, the best possible yes. outcome, right? Yeah. Um, you give a point per pick. Yeah, there's there's a lot of volatility at the top of the staff, admittedly. Um, I like how I balanced the offense uh, quite a bit. I thought there were a few picks where it was like, good thing I got someone there because then I would have been in real trouble. thought the Taylor Ward was kind of sneaky way to round out the outfield. I, I think there's so much upside in the staff that I can stomach if two or three of them are complete misses in like the top six. Uh, but that's definitely the weak spot. I would say I'm going with the 17, Nick. 17, that's what everyone keeps saying. Yeah, I think that sounds about right. Uh, little question about the pursuit of of upside in starting pitching. Um, but I think he did a good offense, even with Edmund and Horner. Uh, he did a good job there. And I would say you need one more closer, probably. So that does change, of course, as the offseason progresses. But maybe that Sandoval pick, maybe that Horner pick turns into something else that you can rely on. Maybe uh, maybe Santander or maybe not. Actually, not Santander is fine. Just You need to find some other spot that you get one other closer, I think. Um, yeah. But uh, maybe if you get Joe Ryan in the ninth round, you can get Iglesias and then Presley. And then you can get someone like Lucas Giolito or, I don't know, whoever you want later on. 
Uh, but I, uh, but anyway, that's just me picking it. Thank you so much, Van, for being a part of this podcast. Remind everybody what you do and where they can find you. Yes. So I am a co-host for the podcast Wins Above Fantasy on the Pitcherless Podcast Network. In the off season, we're putting out episodes every other week on Friday mornings, and then we'll be back to once a week after the Super Bowl. You can find me on Twitter at Van underscore Verified. And I always say you can find my co-host Steve Giswelli at Stav8818. But yes, Nick, this is a blast. I love it every year. And uh, believe it or not, we store this in our memory bank all through like next August. I'll be like, see, I knew Brian Bayo was going to pop and Nick told me he might not. But the thing that, is, that's what this is if all Brian about, Bayo you know? is not good in, in April and May and then he pops, you're not going to have held him through April and May. That's true. But he might be good in April and May. You never know. <laughs> you never know. This is right. I absolutely do not know. And, and for your sake, I hope he does. But that's going to do it for this episode of On the Corner. On behalf of Van Burnett, my name is Nick Pollock, and we'll talk to you guys next week. 